podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool. We'll start with the game at the weekend, Liverpool 3, Crystal Palace 0. A pretty good game. Both sides, I thought, played well. Palace gave a good accounting of themselves, which isn't something we've come to expect from Crystal Palace because they've had a succession of largely negative, largely gammon and gravy managers. But under Patrick Vieira, they do seem to be a team that plays with some confidence, a bit of swagger, a bit of ambition. And they did give Liverpool trouble. Uh, they could have scored early on, uh, a mix-up between James Milner and Alisson. Almost allowed a fluke goal, but Alisson did brilliantly to get back and claw it away. Benteke had that headed chance to hit the post. He probably should have done better. He was flagged offside at the time, but replay showed he was onside. So had it gone in, it would have counted. The Reds would miss a couple of good chances. Diogo Jota missed an absolute sitter. Still trying to figure out how he missed that one before Sadio Mane made it 1-0. His 100th goal for Liverpool. He is the seventh fastest player to 100 goals for Liverpool when factoring by minutes played. Uh, Behind Kenny Dalglish, Roger Hunt, Ian Rush, Robbie Fowler, Michael Owen, and amazingly Mo Salah, number one. Now, he has played less games than Kenny, but he's played more minutes. Uh, Those statistics, courtesy of Simon Brundish, um, fantastic for Manny to get that goal. He's obviously he's had a tough twelve months, and even this performance at the weekend wasn't a particularly good one from him. But getting a goal is always confidence boosting. He's now scored in nine successive matches against Palace, at uh, ten goals in that spell. It's a phenomenal return. He just seems to really enjoy playing against Palace and. Remember, this isn't the Palace that he, he played against two years ago because bar Joel Ward, that defence is completely different. So it doesn't really matter who they put out there. He just performs. Uh, speaking of players who just perform, Mo Salah is an absolute machine. And for those that listened to post-match Raw after the game, we had a quick discussion about Mo. And I do believe that right now, on current form, Mo Salah is the best player in the world at this moment in time. He is playing on a level that is just unmatched right now. It's not just the goals, and he would get the second really well-worked set piece, like the first one, which was a great set piece from um, Costas with with the take, Salah making that run, great header, into the bottom corner, Gaeta gets the hand to it, and Sadio with the very good finish. This one, there's a little bit of fortune in it. It's a corner, Virgil makes a good run, gets the flick on, it drops to Mo, who nearly takes the leather off the ball, putting it home. Liverpool have been exceptional at set pieces this season. If you haven't seen the numbers, go to Dan Kennett's Twitter page, and you will vis- you will see what he's talking about there in terms of the chances created, the goals scored. Liverpool scored three goals from set pieces in this game. Only one other team has scored three from set pieces so far this season, and that's Burnley. Of course, set pieces are what we associate with Burnley. They're not really what we associate with top-end teams. Now, Liverpool have been great at set pieces since Van Dijk arrived at both ends of the pitch, defensively and when it comes to attacking them. But 
this season we just seem to have taken it to another level. And much of it is winning that second ball, always being alert, being the quickest to respond to the ball dropping. It's not, again, not something you generally would associate with a top-end team. It was always, winning that second ball was always something that was talked about with Stoke and the more agricultural teams. But Liverpool have mastered it now, and it's become a huge advantage to them. Salah's goal is his 99th Premier League goal for Liverpool, his 101st Premier League goal in total. He has played 150 Premier League games for Liverpool. You would assume he will get his 100th Premier League goal in the next couple of games, especially given the form he's in. Now, we know that he got to 100 in the fifth fastest time ever behind Henri, Aguero, Kane and Shearer. But if you throw out his time at Chelsea, 99 and 150, Henri got 100 in 161. So we'll assume Mo will score in the next 10 games and get to 100 for Liverpool quicker than Henri did for Arsenal, which puts him behind Aguero, Kane and Shearer. All of them pure number nines. That is, that's incredible to think about what Mo is doing from a wide position. And people will try and dismiss it and the, you'll hear the nonsense about Hazard. You'll hear the nonsense about Cristiano. Hazard didn't have four seasons of the level that Mo has just had. He had one or two of the level of seasons that Mo has had for us. Cristiano had one incredible season, two very good seasons for United out of his six years there. But he wasn't able to sustain this the way Mo has. And again, you'll hear, oh, well, Cristiano played wide in a four-man midfield. No, he didn't. He did for his first three years. And then Ferguson changed it and went to 4-3-3. And the midfield would be three from Fletcher, Carrick, Giggs and Skulls. And the front three would be three from Tevez, Rooney, Berbatov and Cristiano. It was 4-3-3. United won three titles in a row and a Champions League playing 4-3-3. And anyone trying to claim otherwise is either misremembering or purposely lying about what United were at that time. They were a 4-3-3 team. And Cristiano played as an inside forward on the left and in an inverse of what Mo does on the right for us. It's absolutely fair to compare Mo to Cristiano at Manchester United first time around. Because when he was great, he played the same role as Mo does. Except he wasn't as creative. He didn't work as hard for the team. He wasn't as involved in the build-up play. Mo is scoring goals at a level Cristiano couldn't match. And doing so much more for the team. There can be no debate that Mo Salah is the greatest inside forward in the history of the Premier League. Inside forward, wide forward, whatever you want to call it. He is number one. And nobody else is even touching the same level. Cristiano and Hazard are probably the next two and they're a level below. And I've seen Chelsea fans say, oh, well, I'd like to see Salah do it with... Willian and Morata and Higuain. Well, Willian was a great player for Chelsea for years and 
Hazard played with lots of great players at Chelsea in a team that just spent whatever money they needed to spend. But when Hazard was at Chelsea, they had some really bad seasons, which Liverpool haven't had with Salah. Last season's the worst season Liverpool have had with Salah. And last season, they were decimated by injuries. Hazard never experienced that level of injury. And yet, Chelsea finished 10th one year. It's not really a surprise to me that Chelsea won a Champions League, signed Hazard, didn't win a Champions League, sold Hazard, and would win a Champions League two years later. That isn't really a shock to me. Because with Hazard, it's about Hazard. With Salah, it's about the team. And that's one of the big differences between him and a lot of superstars, including Cristiano. Uh, Liverpool's third goal will be scored by Naby Keita in what should be considered an early contender for goal of the season. To catch a dropping ball while moving backwards and sidewards on your weaker foot and control it on the volley with bend and dip the way he did is an incredible skill. And the celebration was absolutely apt. I've seen some people, not Liverpool fans, but some people suggest there was an arrogance about it. There should be an arrogance about it. That goal deserved arrogance because it's incredible. It's a phenomenal technique, phenomenal ability to do what he did. And that goal should be played on an endless loop now for weeks and weeks on end. Because if certain other midfielders did it, it would be played on an endless loop for weeks and weeks and weeks. The blow in the game for us is the injury to Thiago, who was brilliant on the day and is now going to be out for a couple of weeks with a calf issue. That's a concern for us. But if Naby can stay fit and in form as he has been this season, we should be able to overcome that. Other things of note in this game, the debut of Ibrahima Kanate who I thought dealt very well with Benteke, pretty well with Eduard when he came on, made one mistake in the game, a loose pass to Milner, kind of caught Milner on his heels. It didn't amount to anything in the end. You could say that he got out-muscled a little bit by Eduard with that late chance, but he got back, he stayed in his feet really well, and he got the block in to take all the sting off the shot and allow Alisson a fairly straightforward save. Uh, he'd done very well in the first half, in a 1v1 with Benteke, where, he, again, he stayed on his feet, timed his challenge, and got a block in. He looked quick. He looked composed. He looked good on the ball, strong in the air. And even though Joel Matip is taller than him, he's a more intimidating presence when he goes forward for set pieces. We saw him and Virgil go forward on set pieces, and you could almost see the Palace defense begin to wilt a little bit. Now, Palace played very, very well and deserve a lot of credit. They probably deserved a goal. Edward had that chance that Kanate made the block. For me, the chance previous to that, uh, after coming on as a sub, where he just took a heavy touch, a better first touch, and he's probably putting the ball past Ali. Allison made some great saves in this game and shows why he's so good, because there were spells where he had nothing to do, and when he was called upon, he made the save. Palace had their moments. They had a, a good spell of pressure in the second half. 
But all things considered, Liverpool deserved the win. 3-0 might be a little bit flattering to them, but it was a deserved win. And it shows what this team is when at full strength. We've seen people suggest, oh, that the injury crisis last season was overblown. How can how can you make such excuses over one position? But people don't factor in just how good Virgil van Dijk is. And I know the centre-backs are missing as well. But Virgil is the difference maker. He is the leader of this team. He's the one who organises the defence. He sets the defensive line. He allows the midfield to play higher. He allows them to compress space more. He has that incredible ability to switch play, that out ball to Salah, to Mane. He's such a threat at set pieces in attack. He's incredible defending set pieces. He is largely the system. People talk about Liverpool being a system team. Virgil is the one that enables our system to be how it is and what it is. And if you look at Liverpool's record with him in the team, Saturday was his 100th Premier League game for Liverpool. They've won 76, drawn 16 and lost 8. 2.44 points per game, 76% weight win rate, 48 clean sheets, 79 goals conceded. That's 93 points in a season with 30 goals conceded over two and a half years. That's incredible. And when you look at those defeats, the most recent one was that fluke bizarro game against Aston Villa. Okay, there's there's that one. The two before that were Arsenal away and City away. Liverpool had already won the league. The Arsenal game, we dominated them. We made two silly mistakes in defence and they scored two goals. But we battered them for the entire 90 minutes. The City won. Our lads were still drunk. They just won the title. The game meant nothing. It was all over. We'd won the league. Our lads clearly didn't care about the game. So that's the last three defeats. The four prior to that all came next to Dejan Lovren. So I think we can excuse those. When you think of the City game, the only defeat in the 18-19 season, Lovren makes the mistake for the goal. Watford in 2021. No, 1920, sorry. 1920, the first defeat of the season. Lovren is entirely to blame for that. Manchester United and Chelsea in Virgil's first season. And again, Lovren is all over the place in those games. And the only other defeat he's had was his very first league game for Liverpool, where he was still settling in. So all eight of his Premier League defeats are strange. His first game, four with Lovren, two after we've already won the league, and then that freak game against Villa. When you look at our record with Virgil against non-top six teams, played 74, won 63, drawn eight, lost three. 43 clean sheets, 58% of the games. 48 goals conceded, 0.65 goals per game, and 2.66 points per game we've picked up in those games. That is incredible. And again, those defeats with Virgil against non-top six teams. 
the freak against Villa, Lovren against Watford, and his very first league game for us away to Swansea. Liverpool are a machine when Virgil van Dijk plays. And the more he plays this season, the better chance Liverpool have of winning major honours. Uh, we'll jump... Those stats, by the way, about Virgil, courtesy of Dan Kennett. Uh, Liverpool.com have some interesting stuff up at the moment. Obviously, there's some stuff about the Villa game, but also also a really good piece about Oakley Cannonier, who's an incredibly promising young player in the academy. Uh, there is a piece on Adrian Bernabe, who is at Parma, formerly of Manchester City, released strangely by City. Very, very highly rated player. It was one of those sh- the sh- kind of shocking moves of the summer when City released him. Uh, Liverpool apparently hold interest. There is a silly piece about Sergi Canos, um, which says that Liverpool sold the ideal backup. But uh, let's be fair. Let's be fair. He was sold years ago. We didn't sell him to Brentford. We sold him to Norwich. He didn't work out at Norwich. He's gone to Brentford. He's changed positions a few times. He's a decent player. But it says, it calls him an astute Premier League right back. Well, first of all, he doesn't play right back. For him, he plays right wing back. Uh, it says that he has stood out this season with amicable performances. Now, I'm not sure if the author doesn't know what amicable means. But that's quite a confusing statement. Um, Sergi Canos is a decent player. He's not a Liverpool caliber player. And we did very well to get 4.5 million or whatever it was from that sale. Um, On to this is Anfield. There is a really, really good piece on Cade Gordon. There's also actually a good Cade Gordon piece on uh, Liverpool.com. So there's two there to read. Very, very exciting what people are saying about this kid. And obviously his performances thus far at the academy level have been immense. If you haven't, there is a, I think it's a an Anfield Index Pro Plus on AI Pro with myself and Simon Brundish after we signed him. Simon has known Cade since he was a kid, knows the family very well and has worked with him extensively over the years. For those that don't know, Simon is one of the leading sports scientists in the country and he's worked with Cade over the years, and he waxed lyrical about this kid. Not just from a technical standpoint, but the physicality, the potential. And if you haven't heard that podcast, go and give it a listen. Maybe in, in, before this Norwich game coming up tomorrow night, because he's likely to, to, to feature at some point, and the sky is absolutely the limit. Like, think of how good we think Harvey Barnes can be. Cade was even more highly rated than Harvey. Harvey was seen as the second best player in his age group behind Jude Bellingham. Cade is seen as the most talented player in the country at his age without anybody else being particularly close to him. So well worth your while going back and listen to that and then read those two pieces on Liverpool.com and This Is Anfield. Uh, There's also quite a bit of post-match stuff as well there on This Is Anfield. And on AnfieldIndex.com, Stephen Smith, ever prolific, has a really good piece up about Jurgen Klopp's, Jurgen Klopp's squad management. There are some free podcasts. The main pod with Trev, Carl, and Cam with Lisa Marie making her AI debut, I believe. Uh, well worth a listen. The Gags Tandon show as Gags takes over Nina's show while Nina has a, a little bit of a break. 
uh, Guy Drinkle and Kalen as his guests, obviously doing the, the post-match for Palace. There's also post-match Raw on Pro. There is Molby on the spot, if you haven't listened to last week's, and a Euro incision with Guy stepping in for Nina there. All well worth your while. Um, there will be no scouted or rivalry con or anything for the Norwich Cup game, but there will be some sort of post-match show uh, with Guy and some guests. So if you're looking for content after the game, that one will be there. That is it for today, folks. I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.